All right. Good to see you all. John, you coming up here? All right. Our, our battery's running low in the mic, and John Wessel's going to fix that problem when he gets to it. But uh, it is so good to be with you here in the house of the Lord today. Are you guys excited to be here today? Yeah. It's such a blessing, such an honor and a privilege to be in the house of the Lord today. And uh, let's pray. Let's pray before we get back into it, into the word uh, this afternoon. Father, we thank you, God, for the privilege of being here, God. And as Matt just prayed, God, we ask, God, for a greater revelation today, God, that the revelation of your word would go down deeper inside of us today, Father. Lord, that we would leave changed people because of what your word says about who we are, God. And that we would believe it and repent and turn from previous ways of thinking and turn to what, to what your word is saying about who we are, God. And what you're calling us to. So we ask, Lord, that, yeah, that faith would rise up in the room right now. That faith would rise up from front to back. That faith would rise up, God, in every heart today, God. Lord, nourish us from your word today. Change us and transform us. We trust in you. We look to you. We love you. And we ask these things all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. That was, uh, did anyone time that? Anyone time that? That was quick. All right. All right. How many of you guys were at joint prayer meeting last night? Okay, I, I should see like basically every hand raised. If you weren't there last night, I'm not sure why you weren't there. Maybe you had a good reason for not being there. I don't know. But last night was a powerful time in the presence of the Lord. And Pastor Aaron brought a word that was transforming last night. It is on podcast. Check it out. And she was speaking revelation about passages that I've been reading my entire life and never felt like I understood until last night. Let me tell you that. Like I, like I, I grew up in a Christian family. I went to Bible college and you know, I'm in seminary right now. She spoke a word in James 1 and uh, about not being merely listeners of the word, but doers of the word. And anyone who reads the word or hears the word and does not do it, it says like a man who looks at himself in a mirror and then goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. What Pastor Aaron was, the revelation she was bringing from that was that when we look at the word of God, what we're looking at is actually a mirror. If you want to see who you actually are, don't look in a mirror that, that you see your, your physical reflection in. Look into the word of God. And this will tell you who you are. Look intensely in it. That's what the, uh, that's what the author James says in that book, in the first chapter of his epistle. And the word I'm going to bring today is largely in line with what Pastor Aaron was preaching last night about understanding the revelation of who we actually are. And one of the things that we're learning at New Philly, and what thing, uh, one of the things we're teaching and preaching, is the importance of understanding sonship. And one of the issues or uh, parts of sonship that we need to understand is that sons receive an inheritance. You all get that. Sons receive an inheritance. And that's not just a material inheritance. What we emphasize generally at New Philly is that sons receive an inheritance through the words 
of the Father. Pastor Christian and, and Pastor Aaron are giving to us an inheritance through all of the words they speak. When you go into your small group, your small group leader is passing on an inheritance to you through the words that he or she speaks. You receive an inheritance from the words that are spoken. They are life. They are truth for you. Another issue of inheritance that's important for us to understand is that we don't only receive uh, material things as an inheritance from our fathers of various sorts. We don't only receive an inheritance through the words, but we receive an inheritance through the qualities of our mothers and fathers, both spiritually and physically. We receive the inheritance of their qualities. What's in our parents is what is resident inside of us. When we see our parents doing something, we naturally are inclined to believe we can also do that. Do you believe that? Do you see that at work? Like when I look at my father, my earthly father, I, when I consider it, I didn't consider it for much of my life. But when I really look back on my upbringing, I received so much from my earthly father, from the qualities that he possessed and from the things that he did. My father, believe it or not, was a praise leader. I don't know if that's hard for you to imagine. But my father was like, he, my dad's, he's an old school praise leader. That's, that's how he was. When I was really little growing up in church, the, the first church that I attended, my father was the praise leader leading in, in a very traditional sense. So he'd take a hymnal, he'd open it up, or even a songbook as well with, with uh, choruses, and he'd start, uh, you know, like, Amazing grace, how sweet. And he'd lead it by himself like that. And he was actually, he was an opera singer before I was born. So he would like sing, sing that in that kind of, in that kind of form. And so I would watch him as a kid growing up in church. And I would naturally think I can do that. You know, my dad can sing, so I can sing. That's not a problem. And as I grew up, I loved singing and I kept doing it. I got into choirs and that sort of thing. And uh, then got into praise leading. And, and so that's what I'm largely doing these days. When, uh, when I observe my dad and his, his physical disciplines, my dad's, a very, my dad's probably the most disciplined person that I know. And, and he did a lot of running when I grew up. And so I would watch my dad run marathons. And I would look at him, I would see him run marathons, and I would think, well, I guess I can run marathons. You know, if my dad can do it, then why can't I do it? And then I started running, doing long-distance running, and then I ran a couple of marathons. And had actually my first marathon, I, I had the opportunity to run with my dad on Father's Day. Yeah. And that, that was awesome. It was like, my dad can do it, so why can't I do it? Let's do it together, you know? What you see your parents doing, what you see your father doing... It's also resident in you. Those qualities also belong to you. I would grow up as, as a young kid as well. And we lived like out in like real Shigal in Canada. Like it's like out in the middle of, well, kind of in the middle of nowhere. And, uh, and you probably, I don't know if anyone can identify with this here, but we grew up with uh, our house being heated through wood stove. Yeah, through wood stove. And so when I was a kid, you probably like, what's a wood stove, you know? But uh, I grew up as a kid and I would watch my dad and he'd be like outside early in the morning and be like mist around him. He'd be like chopping wood out in the yard and like, yeah, 
And so I watched. I think I thought that was like the coolest thing. I watched my dad like, chop wood, and I was too too young to like even hold up an axe, right? But when I got old enough to hold up an axe, guess what I went and did? I went outside and I chopped wood because my dad did it. I thought that was cool, and I wanted to do that, right? And and so I received those qualities from my father. And, uh, and yeah, my, my dad has, he has aged very well. My dad is the most physically fit, almost 70 year old that I, that I know. And he actually, he just had his 50th year high school reunion was, was just there. And, uh, he said all, like all of his classmates are like in walkers and like, they're just like, like, like struggling to get around. My dad is still running. Uh, he hasn't run a marathon for a bit, but like half marathons, he still runs and that sort of thing. And like bounding up the stairs and that sort of thing. But I, I receive that for myself. I'm going to age very well when I'm almost 70 years old. I'm still going to be totally physically fit. And I, I will be graduating from, uh, from seminary in, uh, in a few months. And my parents will be here most likely for that. So you get a chance to meet my dad. You can just see... See the man who is. I actually, I never thought about his name very much when I was younger, but I realized through talking with some people in New Philly, my dad has like, he has a manly name. My dad's name? Oh, almost. <laughs> my dad's name is, is Arnold Harvey. I mean, come on. His name is Arnold Harvey. That's, that's a manly name. I, like, I, I just received that. Anyways, the qualities that are in my father, they also are resident inside of me as well. Because I am my father's son. Okay? We got that? Good so far. Okay. In the Bible, we're told many things about sonship. But one of the things we're told is that we are sons of a man named Abraham. It says in Galatians that we are sons of Abraham in Christ and heirs according to the promise that God gave him. And there are many wonderful things of being the son of Abraham. I don't know if you ever think of yourself being Abraham's son. I like to think about that because I think Abraham is great. Now, Abraham was, he received a covenant from God. In Genesis 12, he receives this covenant that God is going to bless him and make him a blessing to the nations. He's going to bless him so that he would be a blessing to the nations. And that's for all of us. We are all sons of Abraham and we are blessed in the same line through Christ of what God promised to Abraham. I receive that for myself. You better receive the blessings of Abraham for yourself because they're there for you. If you don't receive those, that's just wasted. Receive the blessings of Abraham for your life. One of the other things we learn about Abraham in the Bible is that perhaps more than anything else, Abraham, besides being the father of the nation of Israel, what Abraham was known for was his faith. Abraham, time and time again in the word, is referred to as a man of faith. He believed God, it says in Romans, and it was credited to him as righteousness. God saw him as a man of, of great faith. I mean, what, what did God call Abraham to do? He's minding his own business, living in an in area called Haran. And God appears to him one day, and he says, Go leave your family... Go leave your hometown, your homeland, and go to a land that I'm going to show you. God didn't give any more details, any more instructions than that. He just said, I'm going to bless you. You leave everything you know and just go into this foreign land you don't know anything about. And so Abraham got up 
took his immediate family with him, took his nephew with him, and went into this land he knew nothing about, just believing that God was leading and directing him. Abraham was a man of faith. He could not see what was going to happen. He trusted God. He followed his lead. He went. Abraham was a man of incredible faith. Later on, Genesis 22, we see God asking Abraham, not asking, I'm sorry, telling Abraham to do something very interesting. He goes to Abraham, he appears to Abraham, and he says, Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only son, and go to a mountain. I'm going to ask you to sacrifice him for me there. How would you like that? Right? God, and this is the son that God was going to pour out the promises to Abraham through. God is going to make Abraham the father of, of a great nation and the nations. And that was going to come through Isaac. And so for God to tell Abraham to do something like that would not have made any sense to Abraham. But he listened to God, he heard the word, and he went and did it. He believed God. And he didn't think that God was going to finish off his son Isaac forever. It says in Hebrews 11, it said, Abraham believed, <laughs> Abraham believed that he was actually going to kill his son and that God was going to raise him from the dead. Because he was trying to put these two things together. God told me to do something, you know, and I'm, I'm going to do it, but the promise is going to come through Isaac. So those things don't seem to fit together with anything that I, I've experienced before. So God's going to have to, after I kill him, raise him from the dead right there, and then he'll go. That's what Abraham believed. So Abraham was ready to kill his son, and, and as he was raising his knife, God told him to stop. Don't kill your son. There's a ram in a thicket over there. Sacrifice that ram instead. I'm very pleased with you, Abraham. You're following me even to the extent of killing your own son or being ready to. Abraham was a man of great faith, beloved. And so as Abraham's children, we're also people of great faith. You have resident inside of you the faith of Abraham. You believe that? You, when God looks at you, he sees a person of great faith. That's what heaven observes. When heaven looks down and sees you, they see a person of great faith. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are a person of great faith. Turn to your other neighbor say the same thing. Amen. Uh, we're going to turn our Bibles on to Hebrews 11, a chapter very well known for... A topic of faith. And we're going to do some reading. Hebrews 11. Last week with Pastor Sam Song, we looked at uh, the latter part of this chapter. We're going to look at the beginning part, and actually most of it. I'm going to read. Follow along with me. I'll skip some parts as well. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, 
Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God, uh, Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to, the, to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah received, herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Down to 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. By faith, we can keep going, but we're not, because it gets too long for now. But you can read the rest of that later. <laughs> By faith. Did you catch that? By faith. That's what these people are doing. They're living... By faith. And as, as Pastor Aaron was preaching last night, what we tend to do when we look at the word of God, we see it as, as kind of a high ideal that we, uh, we're called to strive to attain and to earn. And in general, when we try to do that, we feel hopeless and helpless because we're just not hitting it. But the truth of the matter is that when we look at the word of God, we see who we actually are. That's what the word of God is for us. We look at Hebrews 11 generally, and we see a bunch of amazing people doing amazing things, amazing exploits for God. Man, those guys are amazing. Look at them. Abraham doing what he did, leaving his home. Enoch walking with God. All of these guys, Sarah, she's, she's really old, but she believes that God's going to give her a child, you know? Man, these people have great, great faith. They're my heroes. I, I look up to them. That's usually what happens, and usually the way we read Hebrews 11. Man, they're, they're so amazing. Those people of old, I wish I had faith like that. But I don't because they're just, they're just really super Christians, you know. They're super worshipers of God. But here's the truth for us this afternoon is that Hebrews 11 
is about us. Hebrews 11 is about all of you in this room. You are in Hebrews 11. If you want further proof, we're going to go to Hebrews 10. Last week, Pastor Sam's song gave a very important insight into interpreting the Bible. He said, when you read the Bible, you have to remember that when it was written, the authors of the Bible did not put chapter divisions in the Bible. And so like we read one chapter and then we stop and then we miss the revelation that God wants to give us if we just keep reading and read that chapter in context, right? The verse before Hebrews 11 shows us that this is a passage for us. Read, look at Hebrews 10 verse 39. It says this, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. We are those who have faith. Now the author of Hebrews is writing in a particular context to some people, but he's also writing to us 2000 years later who would be receiving this word. He's saying that we are a people of faith. So he's writing the book of Hebrews, right? He's writing along by the, by the spirit of God. He's writing by inspiration. He gets to the end of Hebrews chapter 10. He says, you guys are a people of faith. And then I'm sure he's thinking being led by the spirit How can I explain this? How can I explain who these people are? Thus, Hebrews 11. He says, I'm going to show you what it means to have faith. I'm going to show you who you actually are. You are people of faith. Let me illustrate that. This is who you actually are. We need to find ourselves and see ourselves in Hebrews 11. The truth is, that this faith, the faith of Abel, belongs to you. The faith of Enoch and Noah and Moses, it all belongs to you now. It is inside of you right now. This is the truth we need to get. We have to wrap ourselves around this truth. That we're not called to strive to attain, attain something up there. Some faith that's way out of our reach, out of our grasp, and work really hard to get it. It's about shifting our mind, shifting our spirit, and believing that that's who we actually are. We are Hebrews 11, beloved. That's what God wants you to know this afternoon and through the rest of your life. You belong in that chapter. You are a man of faith. You are a woman of faith. Yeah, a lot of us have a really hard time believing that. I have faith like Abraham. Would I, would I actually do that? If I had a child... Would I go take my child, if God called me to, up to the mountain and be ready to slaughter my child? That would be trouble. God says that is the same faith that resides inside of you. You need to receive that word. That's the faith that is in you. Does faith excite you, by the way? Man, faith... Yeah, I'm going to get to it later. Anyways. <laughs> Here's the thing we need to understand about faith. Are you ready? Yeah. Faith is not about believing something that we see a partial manifestation of. That's not really what faith is. Faith is about believing something that you can't see at all. You, you can't see any manifestation of it 
at all. It's believing what you cannot see. It's like if you look outside today, uh, and most of you can't see outside, but you were outside at one point today in order to get here. Uh, right now, it's, it's not raining. It's kind of cloudy. And you could say, I have faith that it's not going to rain today. I have, I have faith that's not going to rain. And that might seem to you to be faith, but that's not really what faith is according to what the Bible is talking about. The Bible is it's like it's pouring rain and the forecast is filled with rain. Everyone says it's going to rain. There is absolutely no sign in the natural that it's going to stop raining. And you say it's going to stop raining. It's actually going to clear up totally and the sun's going to shine and there's not going to be a cloud in the sky. That's what faith looks like. It's believing what you cannot see at all. And that's like, that's like Elijah. Elijah, it says, he prayed that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. That's powerful. <laughs> it's pretty dangerous, right? It didn't rain for three and a half years. It says, and then he prayed again, and the, the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. The thing we need to remember about that is that James, the author of that, says just before that, Elijah was a man just like us. He was a man just like us. He prayed that it wouldn't rain. It didn't rain for three and a half years. Then he prayed again, and the earth or the heavens gave their rain. That's, that's what faith looks like, really. It's... Have you seen the movie Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade? How many people have seen the Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade? All right. Very good. Now, this is like my favorite, one of my favorite like non-biblical illustrations of faith, right? And those of you who see it, you already know what I'm talking about. It's at near the end of the movie, Indiana Jones, his father's dying and he's got to, he's got to get to the, the Holy Grail. It's what he's searching for because he's an explorer. He's, he's an adventurer. He's going to get that. And if he gets water in that Holy Grail, this is the Grail that uh, Jesus drank from, that he could actually revive his father who was dying. And so to get to that, he has to cross this chasm that looks like a bottomless pit. But he knows that he has to get that Holy Grail to save his father. And so what he knows about this, this bottomless pit is that it is actually possible somehow to get across it. It's called the leap of faith. He's heard about this. He's read about this. And so he's on the edge of this bottomless pit. And he can't see any form, uh, any way to get across. Because he can't jump. It's way too far for him to jump. But he believes, he knows that somehow he's able to get across. And so... He comes to the to, to terms with the realization that he's got to just take a step where he can't see any form, any way that he's not going to fall down to the bottom of that pit that he can't see the bottom of. And so yeah, they do it really well in the movie too. And he's like, he's like at the very edge and he's, 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 he's hesitating because he doesn't, he has no idea that he's going to actually land on something solid, but he finally takes that step and he lands, he doesn't fall into the bottom of the pit and he actually lands on something solid even though he can't see it. And then he keeps walking on apparently what it looks like is air. 
and he walks across it. That's, yeah, this leap of faith. That is my favorite non-biblical illustration of what faith looks like. Because he can't see it at all. But he knows that it's true. He's heard about it. He's read it in this word that he can actually walk across that. And so he does it. And, and then he gets the Holy Grail. And you can watch the movie later to figure out what happens. But that is, that is the idea of what faith looks like. Thank you. And I love being a part of a community that is growing in its identity as people of faith. Beloved, we are, we are growing. We're not growing into faith in the sense that we're, we're moving upward into it. We're just realizing who we are. That's what's happening. And we get to go on these mission trips. I went, last year I went on two incredible missions trips with New Philly. I went to West Papua. Yeah. Some of you guys were on this trip. We got to see over a hundred physical healings before our eyes on this trip. People, there, there's nothing in the natural to suggest that these people will be healed physically when we pray for them, when we lay hands on them and pray for them in the name of Jesus. But we do that because the word of God says, pray for the sick and they'll be raised up. So we just go out in simple faith. There's nothing in the natural to suggest that it's going to happen. We do it and we see all these people healed of their illnesses, of their sicknesses. This past summer, sorry, past winter, I had the opportunity to go to Baguio in the Philippines with the team. And that was a great trip too. Some of you were on both of those trips, like Lisa with me or I was on the trips with her either way. And, uh, and we, we were engaged in doing things that were acts of faith. There was one time we were going to minister at a high school and we were told before we got there that we had a limited amount of time to, to get in and get out. It was not a Christian school. We were given like a window of time. You have to get in, do whatever you're doing and then get out promptly. Otherwise there's going to be backlash for the ministry that we're trying to accomplish in this, in this school. And so we felt like there were certain things that we needed, that God was calling us to do in this short time. We had no idea how those things were going to get done. Not a clue. We, we felt like we have to do this and this and this, those, those need to be done but we have to get out on time. And so we did this. We went and we ministered. We did body worship. We did a skit. We uh, did some, some VBS worship. We felt we had to do all of it. And then Brother Danny gave a word. And, uh, and then the entire classroom, the entire group of students, I mean, over 100? It was over, I think, over 100 students. All of them stood up to receive Christ. And then we had time to minister to them. And we, there was not one, I don't think anyone felt rushed in any way. We just did what we felt the spirit of God was calling us to do. We just walked in step with what he was calling us to do. And you would not believe it. But by the end of it, I don't, I never looked at my watch once. I looked at it when we were finished. It was exactly to the minute, the time we were supposed to be done to the minute. And it's like, we just, followed what God was calling us to do and God blessed that and he made the impossible happen 
Because that's what God does. He's calling us into our identity as a people of faith. And we see it around us too. We see God doing things and establishing us and growing us to see him manifest his glory, his presence, his love, and his power in ways that seem impossible to us. On the streets at 1038, physical healings were happening on the street as we were rising up and taking hold of our identity of people of faith. And beloved, that's only going to increase because God is calling us a people of faith. Do you believe it? This word's going out. You're receiving. By the end of this message, you're going to fully receive it. That you are a people of great faith. Here's the thing that makes faith so incredible. What makes faith so incredible is that when you fully step into your identity as a man or a woman of faith, you become a very dangerous person. For real. Like, in a good way. For those of you who are unsure. In a good way... In a good way, you become a dangerous person because limitations have now been taken off of you. Pastor Christian was mentioning a movie a couple of weeks back, and I forget where it might have been Sunday service, uh, but the movie Limitless. You guys see the movie Limitless? It came out, I think, this past year. I watched part of it on the airplane, one of the airplanes, either to or from Korea, that I was on this past summer. But for those of you who didn't see it and didn't hear what Pastor Christian was talking about concerning it, it's about a guy who, who's able to take this pill that enables him to access the entire functions of his brain. Because we only really use, I don't know, 10, 15% of whatever it is of our brain's capacities. There's so much potential in our heads, in our brains. This guy was able to access all of it. And so he was able to, to like learn languages just by hearing, hearing these languages in passing. He was able to like do all of these things. He, he became a very intelligent, very influential man through taking this pill and accessing his entire brain. He was limitless in that sense. When you step into your identity as a man or woman of faith, you become limitless. You become a limitless human being. In fact, there's actually, there actually is a limitation on you. But here's what the limitation is. This is the limitation. This is the only limitation that is on you. When you fully enter into your identity as a man or woman of faith. To be a man or woman of faith is to believe that God said something and that it's going to come to pass and that it's true. I believe it because God said it. That is the essence of faith. I believe it simply because God said it. His words are trustworthy and true. Your limitation as you step into who you actually are, as you access that part of who you are, is, is limited only by this. What does the Bible say about these limitations? Philippians 4 says this. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That is the limitation. All is the limitation. I can do all things. All things. All means all. It means everything. It means there's no, no cap on that. Here's another thing the Bible says. It says, my God shall supply 
all of your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. According to what? According to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. It doesn't get any greater than that, beloved. That is your cap. That is your limitation. All of your needs according to glory. When you enter into that identity, that is your limit. The word of God says that God can do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. What is your limit? Immeasurably more. That is what your limit looks like. And he does those things for and in and through us, beloved. That's your limitation. Are you getting the picture? What does John 14 say? That those who believe in Jesus will do greater things than Jesus. Beloved, that is your limitation. Greater things than Jesus. Are you getting this? That is your limitation. I am going to do greater things than Jesus. Now, Peter, Peter understood this to an extent when he was in a boat with Jesus. And Jesus, well, he actually, Jesus wasn't in the boat. Jesus was walking on the water. It's a stormy day, middle of the night, and Jesus is walking on the water. And the disciples are in a boat, and they see Jesus, but they don't realize it's Jesus. They think he's a ghost. And then Jesus comes close to them, and he calls out to Peter. And he says, come. Like, and Peter must think, like, come what? <laughs> you know? You're standing on the water. And it's stormy. And I'm in a boat, and I'm already fearful for my life, right? Because it's stormy. But Peter sees Jesus. And he knows that when he sees Jesus doing something, he knows he can do the same thing. Beloved, in, in, the, in that context, that's what the Jews believed, actually. When they had rabbis, because Jesus was a rabbi, and there were a number of rabbis at that time ministering and teaching. And so these rabbis would gather together to themselves a group of believers, a group of followers who would perpetuate their teaching. They would teach them up and then they would be built up so that they could then be rabbis someday, potentially. And so when a, when a follower of a rabbi came into that rabbi's circle or became a disciple of that rabbi, he believed that he could do everything that rabbi did. That was the mindset. That's what the Jews believed. So when Jesus called these disciples to himself, they were already living in a context that said that disciples can do everything that the rabbi does. And so this, this has to be what's going through Peter's head at this time. Jesus is doing this. Therefore, I can do it. And guess what he did? He got out of the boat and Peter started walking on water. Started walking on water. These are our limitations. These are the limitations we're giving all, exceedingly abundantly, immeasurably, greater things than Jesus. You know what Jesus did? Jesus raised the dead. And he did it in style. I mean, Jesus... No, no, like, like, Lazarus is dead for three days. Jesus could have come. He could have saved Lazarus before he died. 
But he says, no, I'm, I'm not. He seems like the most insensitive person in the world. Like, you could have saved my brother, Jesus. This is what Mary's saying. And, and Jesus waits for a while, waits the third day. And, and the body is rotting by that point. And then Jesus comes. He comes to the grave. And he says, Lazarus, come forth. He said it louder than that. I'm just going to spare you. Now, like, he just speaks out to Lazarus to come forth out of that grave. And he does. Three days later, you know, like after, after this period of time. And then it's after that that Jesus says to his disciples, you're going to do greater things than me. Do you believe it's resident in you to raise the dead? Because there are people in the world who actually believe that. And you hear testimonies of that in, in Africa a lot, in different areas of the world. We actually had the opportunity in Baguio to meet a minister. And we, we ministered with this man uh, who's an MPWM uh, missionary, by the way. The conference is coming up. And he has experience raising the dead. Yeah. He, he's someone who saw, he, he, read, in, he read in the Bible that, that Jesus raised the dead. And then he read in the Bible that we'll do greater works than Jesus. He believed it because God said it. And he went and he did it. That's what it is for us, beloved. Why isn't it manifesting into our lives right now? Because we have difficulty stepping into the truth of who we actually are. It's not because we're young and immature and we have to like strive and earn and like go, you know, fast and go to a monastery for 20 years and then become like powerful enough to do these things. That's not the issue at all. That, that isn't it. And Jesus is saying, step into the truth of who you are. Hebrews 11 is you. You are right there with those people. If the book of Hebrews was written today, it would say something like, by faith, Danny, fill in the blank. By faith, Jaya, fill in the blank. By faith, Eunice, fill in the blank. But we live after that time, and so we didn't get a chance to be in there. But we are writing the book of Hebrews, that 11th chapter, now, in this day, in our time. Beloved, the Lord wants to release you fully into this identity. He wants to release you totally into this identity. What I want you to do is stand to your feet right now. And praise team, you can come take your positions.